Hello, everyone, and welcome back to J&K Presents here on the Enter the Real World Podcasting Network. My name is Jerome Cusan. You can find me on Twitter at JeromeC1985. We have been discussing a number of shows over the course of 2022 that we believe were canceled too soon. We will be continuing that this month by discussing the second and final season of HBO's Togetherness. My co-host, of course, is at K413 on Twitter. It is Kevin Ford. Uh, Kevin and I, over the course of the last few years here on Enter the Real World, we have just discussed Veronica Mars, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Barry, a number of these shows, as mentioned, that were canceled too soon. Uh, you can find me on this podcasting network talking with at Brian DeBrain, uh, discussing a number of superhero-related properties. Uh, Kevin has done from Broadcast Depth, not to mention uh, Adventure Time podcast. So Kevin and I are all over the place on Enter the Real World. But we are coming together once again to discuss the second and, as mentioned, final season of Togetherness. Uh, Kevin, last month, one of the things that you discussed is how anytime anybody talks about sand, you can't help but think about episode two. So I can only imagine when there were multiple episodes this month or for this for this season where sand was prominently featured the show gets serious demerits for the last uh episode of the series when brett is having his conversation with michelle that he doesn't talk about how he hates sand that it's coarse but not her and he compares michelle to the antithesis of sand and that's how things get resolved so other than that though that would have been i think a perfect way to wrap it up that's how I think any uh, marriage or blossoming relationship full of love is how you describe it as the antithesis of sand. I, I do appreciate, though, that while Star Wars, the sci-fi property, was not prominently featured, we did get another prominently featured sci-fi uh, property. Uh, we, of course, are talking about Dune. And Dune is uh, – it's funny because for years – there was discussion about like a proper Dune movie because David Lynch did his version in the eighties, but like, it wasn't like it was the eighties. So you're not, you're not going to really get anything good out of it. So there's, there's been a lot of consternation about it. And finally, just last year, uh, we had the first part of Dune uh, come out in theaters. We're going to be getting the next part next year. So uh, I, I would really love to know what Brett and Alex think of Dune and how disappointed they would be knowing it wasn't puppets. It is wild to know, like, when this when this season was aired, it was, what, 2016? Yes, right? this was 2016, yes. And so, you know, Dune comes out in 1984. It's this not, it's it's a dormant brand, I would say. And I would say that it is, it's, it, it at least has some level of cult status. It's so interesting that in, in early 2022, another Dune movie would come out. And so watching this for the first time for me in 2022, like Dune is significantly more relevant than it was when this season aired. So like at the time, you're like, wow, this is some really niche nerdy thing that these guys are into. Uh, but now it's like it, it's it's a it's a topical brand once again. So just interesting, the timing of it all. And speaking of timing, Kevin, as we talk about the first episode, uh, what timing as we enter in uh, some sexy time? It is Alex, but Alex has a new girlfriend named Christy. Uh, and on the show, he is playing a vampire of some sort. And this is kind of a running gag throughout the entire season 
that he is playing this vampire in kind of these schlocky movie and TV projects. So it's uh, it's it's really funny because also vampires are just I mean, I, they were very popular back in 2016, 2017. I feel like there's always some level of prevalence with vampires. But, of course, with the recent AMC Plus show interview with a vampire, of course, the, the timing is uh, is very good. Uh, we see Alex having a, a really good time uh, with the crew, just kind of introducing us into this world that he is in, uh, filming this uh, this project here in New Orleans. And, yeah, what a, what a way to begin the season. And uh, I one of the things that I am very pleased about in terms of this new girlfriend is I think – I think it would have been really easy to not give her any agency whatsoever or have her make jokes like, oh, I'm Christy with a Y in in that way. But I really feel like, yes, Christy is super horny, but I also love that in the end, at the the end when they break up, which is inevitable given uh, that Tina and Alex are, are inevitable, it feels, uh, I really do appreciate the fact that Christy, uh, I, I don't think they did her dirty. I do. Yes, I agree with that. And I like that, you know, he's really thriving in in this life. You know, it could have been that he moves on to Hollywood and they have this thing where he's moderately successful, but still feels empty because of how things ended with Tina. But he's on a show. He's beloved by the cast and crew. He's got this new girlfriend like things are going really well for him. And I'm glad that they went that route and that the like you said, the relationship is seems genuinely fulfilling and loving. Um, and I thought the fake out at the beginning where it's it's like the same exact music and sort of tone that season one ends on with um, Michelle and David in the hotel room. And you're like, okay, we're going to see the, the climax, no pun intended, of this story. And then instead it's him and his trailer is really good stuff. So yeah, all these things, I was I, I thought these were really great character choices for him. For sure. So we get to see Alex reuniting with Brett, Michelle, Tina, and Larry, who has a mustache now. As they're all clearly there to surprise him. It's obviously been a little bit of time, perhaps a month or two, uh, as Brett has been filming this movie. We get to see a little bit of the movie. And uh, Kevin, I have to say, it looks pretty terrible. And Brett clearly... <laughs> I just loved watching Brett's face as they're cle- as they're uh, filming this movie. And part of me wonders, does Mark Duplass make faces like this when he's on a really schlocky movie? Probably. Although he does seem fairly judicious with some of his choices. I'm sure he's done some some not so great ones or had some not so great experiences pre prominence of where he's be able to be more judicious. Uh, but yeah, I think there is something to, you know, we see a movie, we know it's bad and I don't know that we give enough credit to people who work there to be like, Oh yeah, we, we like, we understand this is bad. I actually just was rewatching part of that, uh, that documentary that's on the episode one DVD where like, George Lucas and some of the other people are watching the movie and you can tell they all realize this stinks, but they really can't do anything about it. Uh, and it still comes out anyways, you know, warts and all. And, and so I think Brett's reaction here is more representative than we maybe even know in, in this world. So at this point, Brett has not Brett. We, as the audience don't know what happened between Michelle and David and Brett doesn't know either. It's very shortly thereafter confirmed as we see some clips of her in the hotel with David. Uh, one of the things that I want to point out is they they, de- they definitely 
uh, made it seem a little bit more tawdry. Like I think when we ended the season with them exchanging the notes, it was very high school like. But this 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 definitely like brought out, I guess, the more sexual elements of what actually happened uh, between the two of them. So we have confirmation that they did indeed make love. And it is confirmed to the audience, but Brett doesn't know yet. So I'm really glad that they solved that equation for us early on. Like, I think waiting to waiting for Brett to know a little bit to build up the tension works. But I'm glad that we as the audience know. I just think I think it would have been kind of crappy for them to just, you know, drag it out. One thousand percent agree. I think it, it provides really good tension for episodes one and two. And because. Brett has had sort of his epiphany at the end of season one and is now like all-star dad and husband going into season two. It makes it all the more hurtful what Michelle did, even if you understand why it happened. And I really like the aftermath of how Michelle feels about it, what happens with her and David. I think all of it is handled very well. I think just the general idea of like she would be into the concept of of, of David and sort of pouring all these thoughts and feelings into this man who, you know, all, it, it's it's all fantasy until it's not fantasy. And then when she went, when it's all said and done and she's kind of sitting there and it's over and the shame sort of washes over her, I think that's a, that can be a very realistic thing for these sort of flings that, that people in relationships have. So I feel like we, we have to talk about the collector's store because it's uh, it's it's re- some really good stuff happens because uh, they're both kind of or Tina and Michelle are both looking for uh, birthday gifts. And this is where Michelle in public decides to blurt out that she slept with David. Uh, I, I, I Tina is a great sibling because she's very non judgy about it. And uh, at one point she tells Michelle to keep your fucking mouth shut, which I really liked. And I love that Brett walks in and Tina is the one that says, hey, dork. And, like, transfers the tension of the situation back onto him. Uh, Tina, who will literally, quite literally, get shit on this season multiple times. And I'm not, uh, again, I'm not being figurative. She does get shit on, literally. Uh, she's she's a great sister uh, for Michelle in this episode. She is a good sister. And I think part of the reason she's not judgmental, she she's seen everything that's gone on with with Michelle and Brett, too. So she can understand, like, Oh, yeah, I know how this came out. And she even called Michelle out for being with David and understanding that she had some felt some sort of way about him in season one. So for her, like, was it surprising? Yes. Was it shocking? No. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the device to to not tell Brett about it. Um, But I understand why her as a sister would say that as somebody who would have to deal with some of the shrapnel and fallout from the situation, but not take the direct hit why they would have that. They would have that advice. But I, I think when she yells, Hey dork at Brett and he responds and he's like, why would you respond to Hey dork? It killed me. Uh, you say shrapnel, but I think you meant shit, right? Yeah, boy, the, whoever's in charge of making the shit in this, in this episode, (laughs) They did an incredible job. That's all I'm going to say. I, I suppose that's one way of putting it. So so they're in New Orleans. Uh, there are a couple of just small notes. 
Uh, they give Alex, uh, Michelle and Brett give Alex a very touching gift, an autographed Jimmy Stewart. It's a wonderful life poster. Uh, paying what happened in the first season because we we heard and saw Alex do a Jimmy Stewart impression. I really like that. Uh, Tina ends up going back to the collector store, spends $4,200. Don't know how she has $4,200 for this very large Greek uh, compass, which we only see in this episode, and it is never discussed again, which I think is, is it's actually funnier that that's what ends up happening. So uh, I want to just, you know, finish our the Tina and Alex portion of it as Alex bails Tina out uh, when Tina is just doing miserably at karaoke. Uh, karaoke is always bad, but there's good bad and there's bad bad. And I think Tina was being bad bad and Alex made it good bad. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I would agree. I also think, like, there's the only time I've ever done karaoke is, like, at one of those, like, um, like Korean restaurants or something where, like, you and your friends, like, get a private room. So it's just you guys. You know, I think doing karaoke in front of a bar of strangers or something like that, one takes a lot of courage, probably a lot of liquid courage in those cases, too. But it, but it's just a whole different – it's just a whole different vibe. And so for her to just be dying on the vine in front of a bunch of strangers – and then for Alex to bail her out was it was a very nice moment. Uh, so, yeah, it's it is a nice moment, but things are still awkward after what happened at the end of the last season. And because Alex is now dating Christy, uh, we get Tina grabbing Alex's ass at one point, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I mean, again, just just weird consent things going on between these two. Uh, they talk about, you know, the birthday present and Alex basically accuses Tina trying to buy the friendship. I love when uh, when Tina says that Alex is her best friend and uh, Alex with a I call it a very Nathan Fielder like, OK, in response to that. Would you say that's a would you say that's fair? That is fair. It's very much to me like the later seasons of Parks and Rec where Jeremy Jam, the councilman, would call like Leslie or Ben his best friend or Ron, I think Ron and Leslie, his best friends. And they're like, we don't even they don't say this, but they're like, we don't even like you. What are you talking about? Uh so it, it is always awkward when someone calls you your best friend and you're like, wait, what? They just totally misread or misunderstand the the situation, too. Absolutely. So uh, so Brett and Michelle, they sneak out and uh, they kind of separate themselves. And Brett asks uh, Michelle to marry him again. And he gives this big speech about um, how he says this is a real thing and like he really is. Uh, making a sincere change and it's it's clear uh, brett makes it clear that it's kind of been a rough couple years so basically the first season was just kind of the ending of that but he's kind of been in this malaise for 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 two years and again i think one of the things that i wish they had made more clear is like how much has his job played into this like of course there's the family stuff of course the kids uh you, you know you love your kids but they're also a pain in the ass as well so I'm just wondering, like, if him extricating himself from the Hollywood biz, so to speak, is the main reason that he's feeling this. I think there is something to that, too. And I also think, I think, you know, Brett talks to Alex, so he feels like he's like, I genuinely feel like a new person and I'm trying and doing all this. And I think he both wants a little bit of credit for Michelle from that. But I also think, I think it, what he's feeling is a lot of projection. By that, I mean, I feel like if if suddenly Michelle made this big change in his life, I think he would feel awkward about it or he would question the sincerity of it. Um, and so maybe he thinks Michelle is doing the same thing when really she I don't think she is. 
Um, one, I think she's weighing her own head about the David stuff, but two, I, I know, you know, she even says that she's acknowledging how great Brett has been and why it makes her feel even worse about it. Um, but yeah, and I just thought that like, I don't know, the, the proposing all over again thing seemed to be a bit much. I understand that it as a gesture. Um, and I understand that people do have like vow renewals and things like that on occasion, but it, 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 it did feel like almost like Brett's like, uh, it's an over the top symbolic gesture for him to prove his sincerity more than anything else. Uh, but I like, but I, but I like that characteristic of him. Um, I think that, that, that very much feels like, um, Brett to me. I think I may have said Alex a second ago, but I meant Brett. Yeah. So we go into episode two called Everybody is Grownups. And uh, there's a going or a coming home, coming home party for Alex. Uh, Tina does not want to go. Uh, she suggests uh, kind of doing a drive by and just kind of going in and out. Uh, but Larry has a poker night. And I got to be honest, Kevin, if I had a poker night with Tom Hanks, I wouldn't cancel that either. There are so few things on this earth that I would prioritize over a poker night with Tom Hanks or most things. With Tom and you Hanks. are not even a poker player, but if no. it was poker with Tom Hanks, of course you would do it. If Tom Hanks was like, do you want to come over and just watch like my DVR? I'd say yes. Because it's like, so Tom Hanks playing, but just the visual Tom Hanks <laughs> right. bluffing. It's like what Tom Hanks, can Tom Hanks lie? That's a good question. But it's funny. You do hear about like these, uh, like, uh, I, I can't remember his name. He was on, True Blood and Magic Mike. He's married to Sofia Vergara. Joe Joe, Joe Montella, Montalago yeah. or something. It's so he's I a, don't, yeah. So he's apparently one a big poker player, but two like either D and D or something like that. And he just talks about like these games with all these Hollywood people. And so to me, it's very real life to have like these celebrities who probably just have a lot of disposable income and can hang out with people that are that they can relate to, and they just blow off steam by by gambling or. Handling their vices almost in private amongst each other rather than having these blowouts in public. That's all I could think of as I hear about like Kevin Smith, too, I think was into that for a while. Just like, oh, there's this this whole world of just like poker playing in Hollywood that us normies don't know anything about, aside from just the stories we hear now and again. Uh, So let's briefly talk about what's going on with the school. They double down on this storyline, and I think it kind of leads to uh, mixed results. Uh, They mentioned that they've hired kind of an architect for the design of the school. They mentioned a curriculum that will be ethnically diverse. And Kevin, I have to tell you, it's really great that they are talking about an ethnically diverse uh, curriculum when I don't think there is a single black speaking role in this show. Yeah, that, that is true. It's, it's awkward, but it does also feel like I could visualize a white woman being like, we need to be diverse. And you turn your head to the boardroom and it is, the least diverse board you've ever seen. Absolutely. And uh, so, <laughs> I mean, there's, we're going to, we're going to talk a ton and I'm oh probably going to get angry again. <laughs> Kevin can feel it. <laughs> I, I can feel it. And, I, and there's so much about this school and just like, like the last episode, especially I was like, what does Jerome feel about all this? But I guess we'll find <laughs> Uh, you can see probably some of my all caps writing. Uh, speaking of all caps writing, uh, David says he loves Michelle and, uh, I, I put in all caps, read the fucking room, dude. Like, Michelle clearly is not comfortable with this situation. Clearly wants nothing to do with it. Uh, David says he loves Michelle. She turns him down, and we never see David again. Like, this is Poochie levels of, he basically went back to his home planet and was never seen again. 
Yeah, like when you say read the room, dude, it's like obviously she she I mean, she tells him it feels bad about it. Nothing's going to happen like it was a mistake and all this. And he still tells her to love her. He still tells her that he loves her. So you basically said, yeah, I don't give a shit about your feelings right now. I need to tell you how I feel. So you know what? Fuck you, David. I'm glad we don't see you again. Yeah, I I think it's good that they they wrote David out. I think it really it, it just I think it would have made the show very very complicated and just I think it would have been really hard because they're clearly going for like a redemption arc for Michelle and we can argue about whether that was successful or not and maybe we will, but you cannot redeem Michelle if David's still around. Correct. I and I think it would have it would have been too complicated and messy to keep him in the picture. So it's better to just have this conversation, tell him to fuck off. He gets off the, the school board and we just don't deal with him anymore was the total right approach to it. Uh, so Tina is a complete disaster in this episode. Uh, she smells popcorn. Larry's dog is a little shit. She goes to the party, is about to turn around, has an awkward interaction with Brett. I, I'm surprised she didn't reference being dead inside uh, when she had that discussion with Brett because this felt like another moment when she kind of had to put on a happy face. You know, Christy at one point is she's kind of a free spirit, but it's also clear there's a bit of a generational difference as well. We find out that Alex has gotten a recurring role as a vampire on a TV show, which also, again, does not seem very good. Christy wants to do an icebreaker. And uh, look, again, they do a really good job with Christy, but fuck off with the icebreakers, especially at a party like this. This is a, I, it, it's it's a more innocuous icebreaker than most. I'll, I'll say this. Our icebreakers, yes, are very bad. Nobody likes doing them. I think she was trying to extend an olive branch to her. So I think she was sort of trying to do her best to welcome Tina into the group. And I think in Hollywood or, you know, where they are having these games that are very based about having movie knowledge or actor knowledge uh, I are, are probably a fairly common thing. At parties like this, like where there isn't like giant Hollywood stars or whatever, and it's just a kind of like a relaxed getting to know each other kind of thing. And if you want to talk about a generational difference, Tina Facebook stalks Alex and Christy. Nowadays, it would be, you know, TikTok stalking or maybe even Instagram or Twitter stalking here. But Tina, like us, isn't old, and so she uses Facebook. I mean, but I feel like five or six years ago, I feel like Facebook was more prompt. Like social media just moves so quickly now that I feel it's all about the Snapchat and the Instagram. And I mean, Facebook is a fucking dinosaur at this point. Right. Like like people like Christie's age and she may not even. Well, I guess she does. But it's like there are kids now who like have those things like who they don't even have Facebook pages. Like that's what their parents have. Uh, that's their parents Facebook or that's their parents, you know, social media. They go on all this other stuff. That's the vibe I get from this. But yeah, the, the, the icebreaker game made for very good interactions between Christy and Tina. Yeah. Just very catty. Tina's being very catty. And I do love that they had Christy say Bueller three times. I I can imagine uh, as they were either writing the script or if this was an improvisational moment, either a chef's kiss or a high five, because of course that's what you do with Bueller. You say it three times. Did, and also, like, did Tina really think that Jennifer Grey was in nothing else? I get it. She doesn't have, like, this giant IMDb page or whatever. But, like, Dirty Dancing and Ferris Bueller are two pretty big movies. 
I mean, I can understand getting confused about who played the role because I think that that was that was the issue. But yeah, I mean, Jennifer Grey had had a decent career in the 80s. And I wonder if she was watching this and just had a single tear come down her face. <laughs> I can't say I um, like Josh Gad did some reunion things like during the pandemic and they had a Ferris Bueller one. And like Jennifer Grey looks great. Like she seems like she's had a good life and all these other things. So good for her. It's nice to see like a group of people from Hollywood who aren't just like just who aren't just like half dead or look like they've aged like 60 years and 30, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love the Brett and Michelle. They talk about how horrible Tina is, but they're going to be grownups and not run interference. I love that. I love that. They're like, Tina's just a complete disaster. We are, we are completely staying out of it. I, I love it. A million percent. Like what, you know, there's, there's some things where you're like, what good does this do us getting interfered with this? Is this something that we want to put ourselves through? So I totally respect it and agree with that decision. I would have done the same thing for sure. Uh, so this leads to Brett and Michelle making their own sexy time, not following the usual formula. Uh, there is a pillow in sight, but nobody grabs the pillow. Uh, so yeah, Brett and Michelle for the first time in a long time, uh, they they have sex and we get Tina, Alex and Christy walking by them. And uh, the looks on their faces are pretty great. Tina, I do appreciate that Tina is, is smart enough to not drink and drive. Like I think that's, that that's clearly a bridge too far and her behavior has been pretty reprehensible, but if she's at least she's like, you know what? I'm not going to drive. Everybody is supposed to stay there. And, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty awkward. We get another argument, uh, between Alex and Tina, T- Tina, even calling him a sellout in some ways, which I, we'll have that conversation later. But, uh, I love that Alex calls Tina a tragedy, man, just some real harsh stuff here. And, Brett and Michelle, I don't know if they don't hear it or what, but they do not come out of the bedroom. And Tina crashes her car into a tree. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the Tina and Alex stuff before we finish off uh, with the Brett and Michelle conversation? Calling, I mean, calling her a tragedy is about the most harsh, but also reality-based thing you can say. Because in a lot of ways, she is a tragedy. Is this is this where Alex is like, you don't get it, like you broke my heart, or is that later in the show? I think it's later. But yeah, and then she, I think, you know, her crashing into a tree is like one of those like come to Jesus moments where, where you see that Alex Osta like gives a shit about her. I mean, I don't see any situation where someone just sees someone crashing into a tree and then just like walking away. But yeah, I mean, it was, it like, I I don't understand how this couldn't have, they, this blow up couldn't have happened just with the way that that, you know, I, I really feel like Christy was trying here and Tina was just giving her resistance. And then Christy just broke and said, well, you know, F this. If you're not going to be nice to me, then I see no reason to be nice to you. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's a really important conversation. And again, uh, I love that Christy. Christy is right most of the time. Like, I don't think that she ever acts inappropriately. And I think she does a lot to either help try to help Tina and help Alex. But at a certain point, she's like, I'm clearly the third wheel in this situation and in the situation between Brett and Alex. So uh, she walks away. I guess this post-sex conversation, this is what Michelle decides that this is the moment to tell Brett about having sex with David. And uh, this, this in, in some ways, it reminded me of uh, of saying I fucked Ted in Breaking Bad. It wasn't as, it wasn't as comedic, I guess, but uh, what is comedic is Brett literally vomiting. He was he rejects this so much that he has a physical reaction to what Michelle says. That is a great way to end the episode. I guess I could see the comparisons ish, but it's 
it's totally different. It's not a one for one, but I was just, it just, it really came to mind because that scene is just one of the ones that really sticks out. Because Skylar gives it as a big F you to Walt in that episode. And she doesn't care about the ramifications where Michelle is so guilt riddled. She literally can't keep it inside her anymore and has to tell Brett and Brett puking as his reaction. The episode cuts is just perfection, beauty. I mean, he literally is, it's like he pukes, he doesn't finish puking, and they smash cut to the credits. <laughs> Does, uh, like, I'm watching this show, and I feel like how, how, like, it reminded me of sometimes when, like, Better Call Saul, when I'm like, you expect me to wait a week or wait a whole year or whatever to see what happens here? There's so many of these episodes where I'm like, I got to watch the next one. I got to watch because you get to the ending and I'm like, how did people wait a week to see what happened after stuff like this? It was painful. So I'm appreciative. That I can just be like, well, I got to know what happens next. And I just press play. And that's that the beauty of, of streaming these days. Yeah, I, I, I remember watching this week to week and being really, really captivated by the show. And unfortunately, not enough people were like me and watching the show. So yeah. it, it kind of sucks that, again, this I think both seasons Definitely one season. I think it was for sure this one played after Game of Thrones. And I think that's just a really awkward show. This is a really awkward show to put after Game of Thrones, I think. Yeah, totally not at all the same. Yeah, I would say so. So episode three, I Kevin, I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are on this on this episode, because this feels like the most Duplassy kind of episode that where you see i think a lot of the maybe the indie tropes so i think you're you either will love this episode or you're going to hate this episode i would say this is probably my favorite episode of the series and i'm curious to know like even before we dive in like what are your what did you feel about this episode i think this is the best episode of the series for sure i think this is a really compelling and very honest way about how if if you get this news dropped on you i i don't think that like a blow up is realistic i think him needing distance to just go away and just feel his feelings for a while is something that would be realistic and the alex being the best friend who follows him to make sure he doesn't do something drastic that he stays alive and he's just kind of facilitating, you know, how are you feeling right now? What do you want to do? Great. Let's pay for some plane tickets and fly back home while Tina stays with, uh, you know, her sister, Michelle, who has to sort of now deal with the, with the fallout of her feelings and all this. And Tina's there to kind of do whatever she wants for her. You need me to take care of the kids. You need me to, to bring you food, you know, let you sleep, do whatever you got to do. Um, and I feel like we have enough built up relationships between what Alex and Brett are doing and what her, how, a sister would help her own sister that it all feels very realistic. And I think one of the reasons you and I probably like it so much is because this is basically the Alex and Brett episode you wanted in season one. Yeah. I almost wish that I almost wish this had been two episodes where we got one with Brett and Alex and one with Michelle and Tina and kind of follow like the same timeline over the course of both episodes, just because I, I was really captivated by both and was just wanting to know what happened with both. And I really wish that we had just gotten, you know, one episode of, of each. And I think this was the perfect opportunity to do that. But like we said, in season one, I think this is kind of what we were looking for a lot of the focus. There is a little bit of detail played 
uh, with Alex uh, or with Tina and Michelle, but so much of the episode is about Alex and Brett. So let's talk just briefly about the Tina and Michelle stuff. Uh, Tina is with Michelle in bed and uh, Tina says that she can be motherly, but no one ever asks, which I think is a funny moment given that she told her car. This is something Michelle brings up. Uh, but Tina, again, being a an incredible sibling, like for all of her faults, she is there to support Michelle throughout this episode and the next few episodes, which is important uh, because Christy, Christy is also there. I uh, guess Alex told Christy that Tina's really terrible with kids, so Christy was going to stay. Uh, but Tina and Christy get into it, so Christy leaves, and Tina's basically on her own. And this is when Tina kind of falls into getting baby crazy and setting up the rest of her arc for the series uh, with Tina helping Michelle out, taking care of the kids, being crapped on by by Frankie. Uh, Frankie's just a pooping monster. That's 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 what he is. That is uh, his character. Uh, but we do get a nice moment with Michelle also not completely abandoning her kids and uh, cradling Frankie um, in kind of one of the last scenes featuring them. So uh, a really, really good stuff. Not not a whole lot of attention paid to them, uh, but I think it really set up Tina for the rest of the season. And uh, it reminded us that Michelle is not a terrible parent for all of her faults. She is not a terrible parent. Right. And again, it's it's something where you hate that it came to this. But there is also part of you that understands why Michelle did what she did. Again, it's not it's not saying she did the right thing or you're giving her a pass. But it's at least an understanding of where she got to. I also think there's something to, you know, you broke the tension in episode two and yes, it's going to suck. It, it, it's going to hurt and it's going to suck for her to reconcile with Brett. But it's like you can you can even sense that there's some relief. It's like it's off my chest. It's out there now. At least it's known. And while you're going to be it's going to suck for a while, there's going to be a time where you can heal. And, you know, she's no longer going to implode because she's holding in this deep secret. And I also like how. You know, there's a line in here where Tina mentions that she's happy that Michelle doesn't have this perfect life. And I have to imagine that for some siblings in those situations, when you see your sibling with the husband, with the two kids, with the nice house, all these things going on in their lives as the single sister who doesn't have as much going on that has to mess with you mentally. So I can see why part of the reason she's also so happy to help out and do this is because, like she says, you know, I'm glad that your life isn't this this terrible the, isn't this terribly perfect vision i have in my head that there is some some darkness there like it weirdly i think makes her feel better about it i think that makes her more willing to help as as maybe as sad as that sounds or as maybe as maybe dark as that seems sound i don't mean it in that way uh, I do love that Brett and Michelle both bring up the idea that they cannot shut their brains off. That's also something that I appreciated. And I think it really, it, it shows us maybe why they are such a good couple in that they both are, are similar in this way. So they end up going to Detroit. Alex putting Brett in the wheelchair is a little bit, that's a little much, but I did like the detail of them because it's a, they, they bought these last minute tickets and, uh, Alex spent like two grand on it, uh, both of them in middle seats and they are separated from each other. I really like that detail. And uh, they kind of kind of have a moment outside of the bathroom uh, as Alex is clearly concerned about Brett, like doing some harm to himself. But I, uh, I really like uh, really like those moments. But yeah, the wheelchair was just a little bit too much. Uh, see, I think the opposite. I think the wheelchair to me felt very realistic. Like when you get a bombshell drop like that, I think I think like your brain shuts off and like 
you almost are just like a zombie in existence. And to me, like him putting Brett in the wheelchair, moving around is just like literally taking everything off. Like you don't have to think about where to go. You don't have to carry anything like, and who knows if Brett was even capable in that, in that haze he was in to do it. So it, it, to me, it's obviously a very funny visual that Alex is doing this and getting them to the plane. But I think there is some reality in that. Just like your body fails you. Like we talk about, you know, later when he offers, he eventually has like, you know, you need Brett, you need to eat something, you know, because your, your, your brain is in just this fog. where just like everything else sort of shuts down. Um, so I think it's a humor moment, but there is again, reality based. That's at least my, my take on it. So somebody who is in Detroit is Mr. Pearson, who is Brett's father. And uh, there's very clearly some tension there as they drive by the house. And wouldn't you know it, Kevin, I don't know if you recognized him. Uh, this is, I don't know if you were a big family ties person when you were a kid, if you got home and watched this on syndication or whatever, but uh, this was, he was played by family ties Michael gross. Uh, I know of family ties, but I can't say I really watch any episodes. So I did not recognize him. Yeah. I, he's, I, I'm not a huge family ties person, but Michael gross has been on other things since then. I think I more recognize him uh, from those things. Alex, you're right. Does smartly offer Brett food uh, because Brett is always hungry. And um, at a certain point, I'm sure it's like one of those things where Brett isn't hungry, isn't hungry, isn't hungry. And then when he is hungry, he's like, he wants to eat like everything in sight. I'm sure it's one of those situations. Well, and like I said, I think again, just like you're, you're so preoccupied in your head about this news and you're thinking about it that like, you just forget to like, Hey man, take a sip of water or why don't we go get something to eat? So you just, you're, you have something in your system because things are only going to get worse if you neglect those other base instincts while you're also, you know, your brain just keeps thinking about this one thing. Absolutely. So, uh, Alex brings, uh, brings Brett pierogies and, uh, Kevin, I, I, you really do need to come back to Chicago because you need to experience Polish food and Italian beef basically because of the bear. Well, you were like, we're going to talk about pierogies and I'm like, haven't had them. So enjoy that conversation with yourself. Uh, uh, they're, I, they're very greasy. Uh, it's basically like a pot sticker, except yeah, greasier. It's like potato and, and some other stuff in there, right? You could put a potato, you could put sauerkraut, you could put yeah. meat. There's many different they're, fillings. They're also a pretty big thing, I think, in Pennsylvania. Like I hear about like street festivals and stuff that pierogies, like Pittsburgh area especially, I think they're they're a big thing. But just haven't had a chance to have them. Like I go buy frozen ones or whatever at my grocery store, but that that's not the same. No, it's really not. So Brett and Alex decide that they, they just want to go to the bar and, and be dudes. And uh, they talk about getting wardrobe. Uh, Kevin, do you want to do you want to describe their wardrobe for us? It feels like I, I don't even know that I can describe it, but I feel like it's like what two dudes their age would think cool people, cool younger people are wearing. But they're so tragically out of date that it is uh, it, it is insanely awkward. They're the worst leisure suits you've ever seen. Brett puts his wedding <laughs> ring away. Ooh. Uh, yeah, just I hate ooh. to see it. Yeah, that's uh, that's not great. Uh, the bar is more conservative than they remember. The thing that I the thing that I really appreciate uh, is the fact that they go to Detroit, but they don't make fun of Detroit ever. And I feel like it's so easy to make the jokes about how crappy Detroit is, and they never fall into that trap. And that's something that I really appreciate. I wish we had gotten a little better sense of the geography, but I'm sure there are people who live in Detroit who probably either know of the Bronx bar or know that location uh, and whatever. So 
I really like the fact that, like, I know that's kind of a stupid thing, but I love the fact that even though these are people from Los Angeles, they, they, they put some, there, there is nostalgia and value uh, to still being in Detroit for them. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, if you really focus too much on like the bad parts of Detroit, I don't think that fits into their view and their memory. Like we're seeing it through their lenses, this nostalgic trip to Detroit. And yes, you see things like the bar change and all that stuff. But for them, it is like, that's home. That's, that's where they're happy. And that's why when Brett gets this awful news about his wife cheating on him, that's where they fly to is, is, is their happy place. And so I think bring all that other outside stuff in here would have really, I, I hate to say ruin the mood, but it wouldn't, it would take us out of seeing everything through their lens. I would agree with you. So we get, uh, we get Brett f- uh, flirting with an old friend named Kennedy who they just happen to run into. There's a, there's a lot of just happening to run into. Uh, hold, throughout hold, the on. Season. hold on. Kennedy. Okay. There we go. We can move on now. Oh my God. I, I genuinely can't believe you did that. Well, he was from Milwaukee, close enough. Uh, do you realize how far Milwaukee is from Detroit? That's like seven hours. Eh, well, you know, it's close enough. Like all those states, like I guess what Chicago to Milwaukee is like an hour-ish, right? Hour, hour and change, yeah. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Listen, geography is not my strongest suit. Okay, leave me alone. Clearly, anyway, Brett and Kennedy are are kind of eye fucking, and uh, uh, Brett says he's very good at ping pong, and then we see him be good at ping pong. I really appreciated that because there is sometimes too much telling and not showing. So I love that, uh, that he gets to bond with Kennedy over ping pong. Are we sure they would play ping pong or would they just be playing beer pong? I don't know, man. Like, I feel like they would be playing beer pong. It would for sure be beer pong. And I see like, sometimes like we even saw it, I think in like undeclared, like they would play beer pong with a paddle. I never play with a paddle, but yeah, that uh, honestly, like that's one of those things that, also brings me back because I'm like, I wonder, I'm sure they still do, but I can't imagine myself in post-COVID ever playing beer pong again. No, I mean, if you do, you would have to, it would have to be a very different game. And that, and, and, and based, uh, and what you said is, I think it, there's part of me that thinks it would have been funnier if he was like, he's great at pong and then he's just completely awful. Yeah, but I feel like I could see that, but I think Brett is at such a low point right he now. He needs the win. He needs to win. So I think it, it actually works for him to be better at beer pong so he can impress this girl. And right. even if they don't ultimately end up like having a one night stand, like I think it's just good for his confidence and, and good for just not like like Tina in the figurative sense, figuratively shitting all over him. So, yeah, I really love the love and care that they go uh, with this. And Brett and Kennedy go into a bedroom and uh uh, they go into a bathroom and Kennedy just squats right there telling you a lot about uh, who Kennedy is and uh, puts her hands down his pants at one point. Again, issues of consent. Alex, would you say this is cock blocking? Because it kind of is. But because he's married, do the same rules apply? No, the rule, the same rules do not apply. He knows his friend is in this this days of getting bad news and he's prone to make bad decisions. And he is there to stop him from making bad decisions. I think this is completely and totally fair game of Alex to do what he did. So yeah, Brett says he's married and apologizes uh, for what happened. And uh, there's some, uh, there's an argument between Brett and Alex as I guess Alex lied about, uh, he said his phone was broken, but really he didn't want to talk to Brett because Brett is just being really annoying. And uh, 
But the, the argument doesn't last very long as they, they just end up having a really on, honest conversation that ends in a hug. And I feel like this is the kind of argument slash conversation that you can only have with somebody who is genuinely your best friend. Not Tina and Alex's best friends. These two genuinely best friends. And this leads to them uh, going back to the house. But any thoughts on their argument? Well, one, yeah. I, now that you say it, it's like if you have to tell somebody you're their best friend over and over again, it becomes it's the ones you don't have to say it. That, that's more real. I think the argument is good. I think the one thing that is not stated, but I think is kind of clear is that Alex kind of has to cut off everything from uh, from his previous life to move on from Tina. Like still talking to Brad or Michelle, whatever I think might have kept him in the headspace of Tina and that heartbreak. And I think to move forward, he needed to distance himself from that. Um, I had a friend that, you know, he didn't text me for like a year and we were pretty, we were pretty tight. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And then eventually he tells me that like he got divorced and his wife cheated on him and stuff. And just like he needed, he was in a bad space and didn't want to talk to certain people and all that stuff. And like, it wasn't my fault and all these other things. So that was just something he needed for him to move on with his life. And, and we're great now. And, and I think it's, it's both unfortunate that Alex couldn't be honest with Brett about this until they got into this argument here. And even though he doesn't necessarily state that, but I also think like that, that's what he needed for himself to, to go away. And, and, you know, his friends can think one thing about him. He's a Hollywood big shot. He doesn't want to talk to us anymore, this, that, or the other. But I think there is this, there is this thing about you think one thing, but the reality is something different that, that is very true and honest in their conversation. Um, and it isn't this, and, and like I said, with, 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 with best friends, like you can kind of go a long time without talking and pick up where you left off. And so I think it's easy for them to get back into the rhythm of things and also easy for them to forgive each other because of it. So I like this conversation a lot. Uh, so they decide that this is a great time for them to go find their time capsule that is in uh, the Pearson's backyard. Uh, Mr. Pearson's face as they are as they are digging in the front yard. It's pretty priceless. I would say. Oh, my God. It's so funny. And I love that he just like. It's it's not this over the top like what are you doing kind of thing just like what the what the fuck <laughs> he's just like just do it right <laughs> yeah the Which most is very dad ever and, and do we know is, is his dad is his like um is Brett's mom dead or is his parents separated or is they his don't mom really there say just sleeping? and okay. I feel like because of who they cast I feel like there was some material that may have been left on the cutting room floor like maybe they went into the kitchen and had a conversation or something. Because I feel like I, I'm not he's not a star, but I feel like when you cast this person to play this role, I feel like there may have been some other things that may have been in the episode before, but were cut for time reasons, because this is also the longest episode as well. This is this episode goes 36 minutes um, or most episodes fall under 30 minutes. Um, I, I think using those extra eight minutes, I think it was worth it because I yes. think you get a little bit more depth. So I think it works out. Uh, they do find the time capsule. And uh, they find pictures of boobs, just just boobs. They find some puppets as well, <laughs> which become important. But Kevin, all I'm going to say is Brett has all these pictures of boobs and look at who he married. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, you, you make a good point. There is something I think to there, there's a really great understated thing with this scene, though, where Brett it's like, I know we where Alex is like, I'm pretty sure we buried it in the backyard in this corner. And Alex is like, no, I had this memory of it being in the front yard. And Alex is so determined he's right. And in the end, he's wrong. And where Brett thought it was buried, he was so determined to 
to dig up the front yard and find where he thought he was. And it turned out Alex's memory was more correct. And I think there's a lot that speaks to that of Brett's character and how there, there's a lot of, I think, symbolism in that about how he acts throughout this season. I would say so. So we end with uh, Michelle sending a text message, please come home, which naturally leads us into the next episode, episode four, uh, Change Town. As uh, Brett and Alex, this wasn't just, they're not leaving the puppets in Detroit. They are now talking about the possibility of turning the sci-fi property Dune into a play. We kind of gave our thoughts at the beginning here. So uh, we'll we'll elaborate on those as we go through. Uh, Christy comes in as Alex and Brett are drinking coffee. Uh, there are multiple references to Alex and Brett being Bert and Ernie, which I think are funny. But the the whole calling them gay thing, they did this a couple times, and I, I, I just didn't like it. It just it felt like it ruined the spirit of like their genuine friendship. Like I understand like Christy is ultimately going to leave because they're spending too much time together. I get that, but just the gay references are just really weird. This really does feel like kind of the time period where like the death of like the bromance in movies and TV kind of ended. Um, you know, there's just some things that don't hold up like they like they do. And I think at this point it was like, yeah, there was still humor in like oh, these two are such close friends, like they must want to bang each other or whatever. And I feel like by this time, it w- that was all pretty much over. And you need to kind of hear or see it in a show like this to realize, yeah, this is this is done. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that needed to be stated. Or if it did, like Chris, the way Christy presented it could have been in a more playful way to tell us she was kidding more than it was actually presented. No spoilers, but all I'm going to say is Go watch Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Count the number of gay jokes in that movie. Then watch Clerks 3. Count the number of gay jokes in that movie. And you will see just how far things have changed, I would say. Okay. Yeah, I have, I have not seen Clerks 3 yet, but I will I, I, I will probably do that now whenever I watch it. And I, I look forward to getting Kevin's thoughts through text message on Clerks 3. Anyway, Michelle, <laughs> uh, Michelle has uh, gotten herself together. She's organized now. Things are a little better. Uh, she has a schedule for Tina. Uh, Sophie has planted keys in the yard, which is the most kid-like thing I would say. Uh, so Sophie does get a little bit of development. She gets to actually speak a bit more. Uh, she is asking questions about Brett, and rightfully so. She's You can clearly see the, the, the awkwardness and some of the energy is weird. Um, as this goes into Brett and Michelle making, uh, meeting in a public place and uh, Brett being super nonplussed and casual. So we, he talks about the idea of rhythm in the first season. I love that here he's, he, he tells Michelle, uh, can we just keep it to logistics? You know, he is really running the show here. He's like, you know, uh, in terms of like, you know, listen, you fucked up. And so, but now we're on, we're on my time. We're, we're kind of on his terms now with how this relationship is going to be uh handled like you said he's either and i think you what as the season develops you kind of get into this idea of like is he not talking because he's not ready is he or is he not talking because he's really enjoying this like life intermission that he's going through um but but it's it's tough to tell where it is at this point and i'm glad you brought up the daughter because i thought she was awesome what and i she's great in ant-man too so that i'm really excited to see what she does in the future but I also like that they really show how smart and perceptive kids can be. Like the bearing of the keys, I thought, like you said, was a very honest kid thing. But I also like that uh, Michelle mentions to Brett that, like, 
you know, she's noticing that you're gone. And yes, they have this lie about how he's working in the evenings, but she even knows that he isn't sleeping at the house anymore. So there's a lot of things like I talk about in season one, how I like how Tina isn't stupid and sees something going on with Michelle and David. Um, and Alex isn't stupid and understands that, like, maybe there's more to something with uh, Brett and the spiritual woman in the force than he's letting on. Same thing with the kid here. She's not she doesn't totally understand what's happening, but she's starting to put some pieces together to see that things aren't great with her mom and dad. And I really like that. All right. So we can talk a little bit about Brett. He says he's an Uber driver, driver has flexible hours. We'll talk about Brett's Uber driving as we get into <laughs> a future episodes, but I just, I do want to point it out because this is where we first find this out. Uh, the Kickstarter, there was a Kickstarter done by Michelle for the charter school that didn't really work out. And this is where we are introduced to Anna. Anna is played by Katie Azelton. Uh, Kevin, Katie Azelton, as you know, is the wife of Mark Duplass. And uh, she was also a very important part of the league. But Anna is a very, very different character. She's kind of uh, this super mom. I guess that's the best way I could describe it. Uh, so, yeah, any did you have any initial thoughts on Anna in this episode? I thought it was Kate Asselton is how you pronounced her name. Asselton, Asselton. It's it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Either way. Yeah, that was another thing, too, is like when I saw her in the league playing the uh, the wife of 9-11 liar, uh, Steve Ranazizi. And then realizing that she was with Mark Duplass in her life. That was a lot to, to wrap my brain around. Uh, but I'm glad she's in this because she's a legitimately great actress. Plays a very different character here than she does in the league and does a really great job. How do you, what, what, what was your question again? What, how did I feel about what now? How did you feel about Anna in this initial like interaction? Because of course, like, I think we see her as kind of a friend to Michelle and that eventually yeah. is not the case, but did your, did your antennas go up right away? No, they did not go up right away. One, I thought also like, and I, <laughs> I was like, you're using a fucking Kickstarter to fund a charter school. Are you insane? To me, that feels like the move of somebody who really doesn't know what they're doing which Michelle is sort of faking it till she makes it with this charter school. And then to have Anna, who seems very interested in the charter school, has her own kid, has these really great ideas, has experience, almost seems like, to me, she seems like the the angel on high who comes down to help and save Michelle once David is no longer in the picture. And I think nothing but positive things about Anna to start here. So I think that her character, the switch she sort of makes later in the season, is done extremely well. It's it, yeah. It's very understated here. I did not see it coming. I'm very glad because I feel like they're clearly going for that, but that is a delicate balance and kind of a delicate thing that they're trying to do. And I think they did it uh, extremely well. Uh, we get a lot of Alex and Brett and Alex is just ignoring Christy, but uh, we get introduced to big C, the director. He's, I don't think he's ever given a, a proper name. He is just big C. And uh, I guess Alex is getting kind of a bigger role and is, uh, is good. Is going to become a pimp. I don't know. I don't really have any thoughts. Like the whole Alex thing is just very unclear because I feel like the show is just like a schlocky, like vampire show that it maybe is on AMC or some shit like that, but it's never really made clear. So it, it was hard for me to like wrap my head around the storyline. Uh, who is the actor who plays big C? Cause he looks like someone I'm like, I know I, that I face. Don't, but I, couldn't I find did him. not look up his name. I should have done that. That makes me a bad, bad podcast. Host, it does. It does. He's, make you a very he's bad very podcaster. good. He's very good. I but say. I also love that it's clearly like someone who um, like uh, like the I hear now about like how certain people in their lives either like they put themselves on or like their spouse or something puts them on like phone timeout where it's like 
you know, maybe maybe it's one of their people who who work so much that they're on their phone constantly that it's like, hey, Saturday phone timeout. But there are those people who maybe they call you and it's like, hey, I got to get this. And Big C is one of those people who it feels like Alex, no matter what it what time it is, where he is, who he's with, no matter it's like if Big C's calling, you got to pick up. And that's the vibe I get from that relationship. Yeah, for sure. So we get Tina managing the kids and struggling with it. There's poop, there's juice, there's just, there's liquid everywhere, Kevin. That's all I could say. Uh, But she does bond with them, and we see uh, that her bonding is making Larry concerned about her love for kids, and he is in a no-win situation because he very clearly is, he's a little bit older, probably doesn't want kids, but is now seeing that, you know, Tina, who is a little bit younger, but is obviously it kind of a borderline point in terms of her being able to get pregnant. So we see that, and we're going to see a lot more of that in the next episode. Uh, we also get Alex uh, co- kind of complaining about the acting gig. Brett is genuinely relieved about this, and they're both drinking beers out of a bag. Not We don't know what beer they're drinking. We know they were drinking PBR in Detroit, uh, but we don't know what beer they're drinking this time. So if you're, if you're keeping track at home... And uh, so the Larry and Tina situation and the Alex and Christy situation are kind of mirroring each other uh, because Alex has basically ditched Christy again and mentions the dead phone. We kind of know what that means. So, yeah, things are things are on the rocks for the two couples that we know are kind of doomed. And uh, it's uh, it's coming to a head. I I hate to say it, but when I saw the beers in the bag, I thought, guess we didn't get a sponsor for this season either. <laughs> Ouch. That's all I could think of. But yeah, I, you know, I think like you said, this is like the writing becomes on the wall for we're going to start to see Alex and Tina's respective relationships sort of uh, start to disintegrate here. I like that we get a Hail Mary with with Larry and Tina a little bit later. um, So it's not this fast dissolving, exactly mirroring thing. Um, But I also like this is also a great instance of Christy getting agency because she sees what's going on and she ultimately, you know, puts the kibosh on things. Yeah, I mean, I certainly understand her perspective and where she's coming from. But at the end of the episode, I think Tina wants to have a conversation with Michelle, but Michelle is asleep, so she goes downstairs. And uh, they they have a really nice, honest conversation. And uh, I really appreciated that because, you know, I think so much of the focus has been on kind of the two pairs or the two couples that we really haven't gotten a chance to see to see Brett and Tina, but it was nice to see them not like talking about being dead inside, but being really honest with each other. And that's kind of how the episode ends. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very good ending to the episode. And I do like that. Brett is, is actually kind to, to end this. So, um, because there's no reason just to be in, uh, you know, what it's, it's one thing where like, yes, he needs his space. He needs to figure things out, but it's also like, what is being nasty to her in this situation really achieve? Um, so I'm glad he wasn't just outwardly unkind to her for no reason. All right. So the next episode, I think we could very clearly kind of divide it into like three or four parts. Uh, I, let's let's just briefly address the fact that Christy has 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 left this relationship. And uh, we uh, we kind of get either our first or second uh, sight of the landlord as he mentions the fact that uh, the pretty girl has left. And uh, yeah, I just saw this landlord in and I wanted to have the same reaction that Brett did at the end of episode two, because landlords are the worst. And uh, this is something that Kevin and I have always made very clear our feelings on landlords. Okay. So landlords are terrible. Absolutely. This landlord is pretty funny. And I will say like he puts up with a lot from Alex and Brett at least. Correct. So I, so I understand that, but I also love that 
Alex is so in his own world that he doesn't realize Christy left him. But I also like that he's also just like, ah, and then moves on when when it happens. So goes to show you how much his heart was in that relationship at this time. Uh, so, yes, we get Alex uh, walking onto the set of his show and uh, there's a new director. That director is the asshole from the previous season, Kevin. Wouldn't you just it just happens to be that person. Dudley, I believe, is uh, the director's name. Yes. So Dudley uh, is in rehab now. He's trying to get off the sauce, so to speak. And Kevin, I am sure that's the only problem he had was alcoholism, and he never abused anyone or sexually harassed any women. No, that's it. That's the only problem he he had uh, on the show. And I love that everyone is like aware that Alex and director didn't get along, so they're trying to be quiet and try to like kind of hide it from him. But it's like, how long was that really going to to be sustainable? So, so they have a nice conversation and Alex basically, I don't know if he's just being nice or what, but Alex, Alex is the type of person who I think it is believable that of the four, he's kind of the one that would placate the situation to the best of his ability. You know, this is a prominent acting job for as schlocky as it is. Like he, I I think that, again, I, I think he might be the nicest of the four so I really appreciate the fact that he genuinely tries to help the director out. Like he might not be happy with the situation, but he is also incredibly professional. Uh, Tina, Brett and Michelle. I, I don't think they would behave this way because as we will see with Michelle and Anna later, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's hard for the other three to hold their emotions, but Alex is very good at it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's at least at this time, it's, it's a completely professional environment. It's like, okay, no, we don't have a great history, but like we're making a show. That's that's what we're here to do. So I'm just gonna let's focus and make this show. Where and whereas with Michelle and them, there is part of that too, where maybe at, at, you know Tina's able to say things or, or about or see things about Anna that Michelle can't because she really wants the school to work and she has to keep a professional relationship with Anna. All right, so I think we've done a good job of kind of talking about Alex. Let's talk about Tina next, because Tina's hanging out with Frankie. And Kevin, look, I I am a man of simple pleasures. Sometimes a fart joke is just really good. Can we just talk about the sound design on Frankie's farts? Because, my God, what what a magnum opus for whoever did that. There's, they will tell you that, like, you know, when you're, you, you sometimes might get a question like, hey, what's what's a lesson one of your teachers taught you in high school or something that you're always going to stick with? Maybe it's not a lesson about like maybe your English teacher gave you some sage life advice that has nothing to do with English, but it's something you carried with you. My civics teacher in 11th grade said, men, there's always going to or he's like, there's there's two things I want to, you to remember. One is don't trust Whitey as a general rule. And we talked about, like, I think this is a reference to, like, the Trail of Tears. But it goes on in all aspects of life. And he said, number two lesson, he said, men, it doesn't matter what age you are, farts will always be funny. And boy, was he correct. <laughs> I mean, it's it's both funny and tragic at the same time. Because poor, poor Tina. I mean, you sent me a text about the shitting on. And I, I remembered, like, that she comes, becomes baby crazy. I didn't realize the amount of shit that she's in quite literally. Like the Frankie shit in like episode two or three, she has to change the diapers. Like somebody like microwaved four burritos and then dumped the <laughs> contents into the diaper. It's uh, it's so okay. gross and profound. While this is like your generic, just like brown goo, uh, and, and yeah, it's it's disgusting. But yeah, it's 
it goes to show like it's in a situation where like she's she's taking care of Frankie, but she's not an experienced mother or caretaker where she like finds herself in the situation where she's she doesn't have a diaper bag or anything with her to take care of him. All right, so as uh, as we continue things on here, she goes home with Frankie. Larry has a very nice moment with Frankie, kind of being fatherly in a way. So uh, this leads to their big confrontation as as uh, they're about to have sex, and Larry goes for a condom. Tina says she's on the pill, and this this leads to an argument. And Larry asks Tina about wanting children. Uh, Larry is very honest, and I think Peter Gallagher is incredible in this scene, and. I think Larry is a character that could very easily just be forgotten about and you could just not have the scene, but I think it's here for a reason. And like the honesty that he has and, and the performance is just, it's, it's heartbreaking, but he's right. Like he says the door is closed for him. Like he doesn't judge Tina for wanting a kid, but he's also like, you know what? I don't, I don't really want to do it. And I think that, I think they're both right. And I think that's the best that's what I think this show is at its strongest when the characters are arguing or discussing and they're both right. And I think this is a perfect example of it. Again, Larry and Christy, you could just easily have disposed of them, but they're right. The reasons that they break up with Tina and with Alex, they're in the right. And yeah, I just, I really admire the show for this. And again, Peter Gallagher is just, just great in this episode. Yeah. um, And this is something that, I've seen play out in real life a couple times. Like I had one of my, one of my brother's friends. She like the one thing she knew is she wanted kids and she dated this guy where the one thing he knew is he didn't want kids. And they dated for four years, hoping the other would change their mind. They never did. And they broke up another one of my friends, you know, he when when things were getting serious with his now wife, one thing he knew is he didn't want kids. And it came a time where he had to have a frank conversation with her. He's like, you know, listen, this is something I know I don't want. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm I'm sure of this. So if that, if kids is something you want in your life, I completely understand. And, you know, you know, we'll just have to call it. And she had to do like some thinking. I, she was on the fence and she had to do some thinking and realize like I would be happy without kids. And now they've been buried for nearly a decade and things are great. But that is such a huge sticking point in people's lives of, do you want kids? Yes or no. And it, it just is it's such a huge thing that it if if you're on two different pages, the relationship really isn't going to work because it's going to breed resentment or somebody has to compromise. But that's a pretty big compromise to make for, just from my own experiences of other people in life. Like this to me felt very real. It's it's too, it's something that Tina is for sure. It's now she wants to be a mother and that's something she definitely wants. And that's something that uh, that Larry does not. And that's a sticking point and there's nothing that has that there's no way to really you know resolve or compromise this it just has to end so yeah i thought this was very very well done yeah just it's really great uh what's not great the michelle anna stuff i appreciate that they're bonding and they bond kind of over doing a lollipop edible but again coming back to drugs just it's whatever like the drugs almost don't even matter so I don't even like necessarily understand why they did them because does does doing it edible give you the courage to fire your contractor? Like I just I didn't understand the point of it. Okay, I guess I missed that it was edible. I thought they were trying to like look sexy for the guy to try to maybe get a better rate on what uh, what work they were doing. I guess I missed the part that it wasn't edible. 
Yeah, because they're kind of looking around at a certain point and like their sentences have been heightened. So, yeah, I will point out the uh, the great John Capellos is playing the contractor in a very small role. And uh, he's just funny. He's an asshole, but he gets fired, which I, contractors. It's a really tough thing because it's like, how do you make a school? I don't know the logistics. And again, I don't think these two do either. And it's just, man, just I am not somebody who believes I'm not a degree snob, but at a certain point you need people with degrees to actually build a school and construct a school, both in the physical sense and in the culture sense. Yeah. Uh, contracting is a very weird thing. I mean, you know, they have some power over hiring and firing, but they also have deadlines and stuff to, to make, to make things a reality. But I think Anna needed to be there to sort of handle things because I think Michelle is, in over her head and is also just a very like meek person. So I don't know that she would feel comfortable just outright firing someone who's going to raise the prices or not meet deadlines or this, that, and the other. And again, she's the more experienced person. So I still didn't think anything of, of Anna here. I think it was to me, it still felt like very helpful steps that like someone has to step up and take control in these situations. Uh, and Michelle is just ill-equipped to do that. Good thing that she's head of running the school, huh? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty great how that works out. So let's, uh, Brett, we are you ready to talk about Uber Etiquette, Kevin? I mean, I guess I I don't have much to say. Like I've been in an Uber maybe once or twice. I've never used the app, but to me, like a lot of the etiquette is just like general etiquette for life. So what you're saying is that you shouldn't punch the driver in the forehead. Like what happens? Shouldn't punch the driver in the forehead. Don't. I will also say. I would never accept a drink from an Uber driver. Like, yeah, that's nice that he has water there. But like, I don't know what the, I don't know the fuck this person is who's giving me water, even if it's sealed. I will just kindly decline. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's another thing. I, I mean, you just don't be an asshole. Like, just like with anything else in life, be an asshole. Don't be an asshole, and uh, and leave a nice tip if you believe that the the service was good, and always give five stars, unless they were just being recalcitrant. Kevin, there's that word again. Recal- recalcitrant. God damn it. Uh, I did hear, I was listening to, um, there's a, this show I've been watching uh, called 101 Places to Party Before You Die because one of the hosts, John Gabris, is someone I like to listen to on podcasts. And I listened to him talk about how uh, he is also, the show is called High and Mighty. He is he is a very open uh, fan of, of marijuana. And he talked about how, uh, like, there was de- now in certain states you can get, you know, basically weed delivery to your hotel like you would, like, food delivery now. And he said, you know, it used to be that he going to the airport or the hotel for, you know, whatever comedy show, whatever he was doing, he'd have to make like two stops at a dispensary or something. And he'd tell the Uber driver, like, hey, stop here. I'll tip you out the yin yang. Just, you know, just stop and let me get this. And I thought that was nice Uber etiquette, too, to be like, hey, man, I'm going to have you make a couple extra stops, but I'm going to make it worth your while. So I think that's that's worthwhile, too. And I do feel like, like you said, you, you just give each other five stars unless you know it's a very disastrous thing but honestly even for me if if i'm thinking about this in the sense of like ebay or something else if i have like a really bad experience or something i basically just don't leave a review because i also don't want the negative review on me to come back to me you know just out of like a spite review against me so i just don't say anything what do you think about that are you able to do that in uber are you able to not leave a review you just you just you 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 can skip the star rating altogether is what you can do which I, I yeah. which I've definitely got done a couple times, but yeah, I mean, I just think like just like with anything else, don't be an asshole. But uh, I guess I guess Brett has a not just a five star experience, but he has a six star experience with Natalie, huh? Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. he, he drives <laughs> Natalie home. This this could have gone in many different places, but this this seemingly comes out of nowhere as Brett's car turns off because it is electric. This is really a running gag. We haven't really talked about it, but this is a running gag throughout. Um, this also plays a role in the way they get kicked out of Alex's apartment because they're always trying to charge the car. It's a really good running gag. Uh, Natalie says that she'll give Brett some juice, and boy, does she, uh, <laughs> as, they, uh, as they go into the house and they make a Hot Pocket. And uh, uh, we kind of end on a cliffhanger as uh, Brett goes into uh, the bedroom for some possible sexy time. Yeah, this literally came out of nowhere because throughout the episode, we see Brett uh, driving a number of people, and you're just wondering, like, what's the payoff of this going to be? And it ends up with uh, her te- him technically uh, cheating on Michelle. Yeah, um, and, and we don't know that for certain until really like the last episode. But yeah, you're you're kind of left to wonder kind of what's going on. Even when he talks about it with Alex in the next episode, you're not entirely sure of what happened there, which um, was interesting. But I also, listen, I understand how scary it could be. I thought it was very funny that his car died and he said, well, now's the time where I murder you. Uh, I thought, you know, I maybe the, I think the conversation is enough where he can make a joke there. Um but I, I at least thought it was funny. And then she, she's very generous, gives him a hot pocket and some beers. His car is charging in the house. But if in any situation, like this is to me sort of like a little bit of like Hollywood uh, judging over the reality. Like if, if, if anything, she would say, yes, you could charge your car, but you stay in your fucking car this whole time. Is I think the 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 nicest reality of that situation would end up being in this in a day and age where. uh women are understandably less trustful of, of strangers. Knowing Nat, Nat, Natalie and Kennedy both seem to be kind of free spirits. This really makes me wonder what Michelle was like when she was younger, based on who Brett's based on who Brett is attracted to in these two episodes that we've kind of been discussing him flirting with other women. Yeah. But it's, it's also like the same thing as David is like, She's really a vessel where he can pour his weird fantasies or whatever of yeah of, that's of a fair. good woman into. Uh so <laughs> episode six. Oh man, uh, I don't really have a lot to say about episode six. I don't know about you, Kevin, uh, because basically this is the episode where we find out that Anna, uh, in Tina's words, these are Tina's words. Uh, Tina identifies her as a cunt. That's what she says, and this is something that she identifies right from the get-go, which I think it's funny that Tina and Anna have never had any interactions, but for all of Tina's faults, again, I think Tina is a really good, like, she's really good at reading people, and, like, she immediately sees that Anna is problematic and kind of two-faced, and I really like that, again, she's right, and again, she is always supportive of her sister. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's it is what it is like it, the the relationship is just with with your siblings is you're you're you can be more honest with each other, but also more forgiving of each other. So they they talk they 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 talk about they're outside of the this potential fundraiser and uh, Tina encourages Michelle to have more cleavage and uh, Michelle is not too much into that. But then they go inside and Anna is wearing a dress that. She might as well not be wearing a dress with how much cleavage she is showing. And uh, so that's pretty amusing to me. 
And uh, it's also basically a bunch of rich white people funding this charter school that is supposedly going to be ethnically diverse. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's really, really good times with the charter school as uh, we are apparently completely going away from the original intention as Anna is trying to take over. Michelle finds out about this. Kevin, I have a question. So the ending of this, when Michelle goes to confront Anna by the pool, did you notice the pool and did you know Anna was immediately going in it? Yes. That's just yeah. a, that's that's that's, a that's, that's an immediate Chekhov's gun. Like you don't <laughs> it, you don't show that's not even like a you show me an act one it pays off in there. I mean sometimes it is like the first episode of Party Down when uh uh when um uh Keith Marsh jumps in the pool at the end uh, after seeing it earlier. But yeah, once as as soon as I saw it, I'm like, yeah, this is happening. But now that you say that about Anna and her dress, and then how Tina um uh, has her sister sort of a uh, you know adjust her shirt before going in and after seeing what we see with uh it's just boobs in episode three i think this just uh this is a lot of duplass brothers mentality going on in the in the whole show no i mean i would say so i mean and the really amusing part of this again is that anna's played by mark duplass's wife there you go <laughs> so uh we get Brett is having some really good times with Natalie. This is kind of a new relationship, so there's kind of a kind of a, a glow to it. And he even tells Alex how incredible his night with Natalie is. Alex does not judge him. He asks questions, but does not necessarily judge him, which I which I very much appreciate. Um, I do like the fake out of Brett going to Natalie's apartment and Natalie uh, kind of being super offended, but then eventually letting him in. That's that was pretty amusing to me, just because of uh, of Brett's face. So I I really like that. Yeah, that was very funny. And I think this makes it very clear now that Brett is not taking a break to heal and figure out the next steps in his life. He's taking a break and kind of giving himself free reign to just sort of fuck around. Uh, Because it's not like he's working on his relationship or his feelings to mend things with his marriage at this time. He's having a fling with this other girl. He's working on this fun project with his best friend. And he's sort of just living this sort of fantasy life. And yeah, that's fun. And maybe it's what he needed for his his mentality at the time. But as a viewer, you start to see like, okay, this is this has gone far. This has gone a little too far with Brett in his in his healing for himself. And now you start getting to the point where your empathy for him sort of starts to turn the corner. At least it did for me. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think this is where we start to see the turn. I think it becomes all the more prominent uh, in the next episode. Uh, At the beginning, this is just a funny note. Tina refers to the idea of any pregnancy when you are over 35. It is referred to as a geriatric pregnancy. Um, And she is pondering it for herself. That is a real thing, Kevin. I have have a friend who is over 35. It is called it. Like, seriously, we need to do better as a society for women (laughs) and pregnancies. Yeah, like I've definitely talked about this with like, I think my my sister-in-law, um, like, yeah, that's that is an insane thing to call an over 35 pregnancy, a geriatric pregnancy. I understand, you know, what that's supposed to mean. But like, how do you as a 30 something take the term geriatric and it doesn't mess with your psyche? So we get more of Alex and Brett playing around with the Dune set. I don't really have a lot to say about this, except for the fact that the landlord tosses Alex out. And you can't immediately do that. Like, you just can't do that. So that that was pretty interesting to me. And uh uh, Brett is also reunited with the director from season one, and uh, Dudley is going to help them uh, try to make this show a reality. I guess he is, and I and I love the moment with him and uh, with Alex and the realization they both have the Dune book. 
But I also think this is a really good showing where Alex is telling Brett, like, you know, people can change, give it a chance. And if he's going to be able to mend fences with this director a-hole, he's going to be able to mend some fences with his wife, too, I think. I would agree. Any any other thoughts about episode six before we go on to episode seven? Uh, no, not so much. But I can, I like, do I, there is part of me that understands him the landlord being like, you just destroyed my apartment with your sand. Get the fuck out. So again, like all landlords are bad, but they, Brett, Brett and Alex, they really push, they push to a uh, pretty far on, on this landlord here. Yeah. They took things too far. Speaking of sand, Kevin, that is literally what episode seven is all about. There really is only like, there's, there's patches of other things that are going on, but this is mainly about uh, the fact that, uh, the, the, the charter school, they're all going to come together, and Michelle is concerned about this becoming a private school as Anna's going to take things over. Anna has a curriculum. Kevin, what was your reaction to when Anna was talking about the curriculum? Because I had a very specific reaction. I didn't really have a reaction to it until episode eight, so I didn't really have any thoughts on the curriculum until it's sort of like, sort of laid out in, in episode eight when Anna's kind of talking about it with the parents. So there's a lot of yes anding in the final two episodes. Michelle goes for this long shot idea of having Brett and Alex actually perform the Dune show for everybody. And uh, Brett and Alex, uh, like good improvisers, yes and, and decide that they're going to help out. The question that comes to mind is, are you really telling me that there isn't this, that this part of California doesn't have a decent public school? I mean, Sophie's going to a public school for God's sakes. And yes, she does fall off the, uh, one of the playground objects and breaks both of her arms. But I don't think that's necessarily the fault of the public school. It's just, this whole thing is bizarre to me. And the fact that they double down, double, yeah, they double down on it, man, just really strange. They, uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk, let's talk about the beach. And uh, so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about, so Tina is of course baby crazy. And uh, he ends up, or she ends up, flirting with somebody and i am sending a picture to kevin ford's phone right now uh kevin the person on the left and i will describe this for the podcast audience that is who tina uh was canoodling with in the episode no way yes i did not recognize him at all so it is todd luiso you you will you you may remember as dick from 2000's high fidelity my reaction to that is the same as Dick had when uh, John Cusack tells him that he is organizing his albums autobiographically, which is no fucking way. <laughs> I I couldn't believe it because I was like, he looks familiar. So I looked it up and I, I, I did recognize him vaguely because I had to look it up like myself. I was like, is that is that him? Because it's been like 20 years or 15 years. So but yes, indeed, Tina was flirting with Dick from High Fidelity. That rocks. Now I have this alternate reality where I wish they got together instead of Alex and Tina. I'm sorry, but that would be very <laughs> fun to watch. So Dudley shows up, of course, of course, Kevin, because the way the show works, Natalie is also there and things are super awkward between Brett, Michelle and Natalie um, throughout. Uh, but they're all together. They band together to take all of the sand off of the beach this is the this is the height of white privilege, right? Them taking all this sand for themselves. <laughs> yep, yeah, that is that is definitely. I didn't think about it as the height of white privilege, but you're 100 percent right. 
This, this you're is. Te- you're telling me that with between Dudley, Alex, and Brett, they had to work this hard to get the sand too. Yeah, that's that's. There, there's a lot of like Duplass brothers movie, you know, tweeness to this that you just kind of have to be like, okay, I guess, I guess this is the plot we're gonna have where we can see that that Brett and Michelle can can work together again, and even in my mind. There's a there's part of me that can believe that because Brett is really doing it for his kid more than he is doing it for Michelle. But that experience helps the beginning of them sort of mending fences. Yeah, because they have to have a confrontation because Brett is very, very clearly transitioned from um, and maybe this was always true, but he's gone from like trying to. Um, recover emotionally and is now just living the life that he wants and is just fucking around quite literally in this case. So I think Michelle is, is kind of right to confront him. It's, it's a, it's a really, it's a really fascinating situation because clearly uh, these two people have both done wrong and now they're, they're, they're going to have to like act like adults for once. And uh, I do want to point out the funniest scene in the whole show, because just like a good fart joke, uh, Dudley pretending to be drunk, peeing on the street, and the police <laughs> telling him to get back on the sidewalk. If Dudley wasn't white, boy, would that be different. Uh, but he, he he does get arrested. But boy, was this funny. It was very funny and a great, like, again, I, Brett is all about people being earnest or honest. Like, he's, like, back in episode one, he wants to prove to Michelle that he himself is being earnest with his attempt to be a better husband and father. Dudley does this does this act to let them get away with with stealing all the sand and that is that helps prove to brett that he is uh very much like it like he's into this project and into helping them um and it's a great moment it's it's very funny like yeah it's a tv show right so like yes we could talk about the reality of it if it was a black man and all this other stuff but just taking it as it is very funny i mean i'm pointing it out but i want to acknowledge that this is one of the funniest scenes on the whole in the whole season Maybe the, whole, maybe the whole series like yeah. this, this did a better job of redeeming him than anything else he's done on the show up to this point. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah. Uh, so we get two big Tina and Alex conversations is Alex uh, cock blocks Tina now and uh, prevents him from getting together with Dick and uh, Tina, I guess is kind of right, but it's, it's just a weird situation because like on the one hand, like there, maybe there is an argument that revenge could be made Tina maybe is just going for the next, for the first person she sees. And Alex mentions the fact that there are better options. Tina just bursts out laughing. And in another funny moment, again, on maybe this in, in an episode where Mr. Where Dudley is pissing on the street doesn't happen. Her making the joke that all of this sperm look like John Lovitz. That was pretty great. Yes. Very funny. And I think it is, it's a great situation. Him cock blocking her because it feels like it's the right thing for him to do because, like you said, she's just you could say that she's maybe just finding the right person to have sex with and have a kid with. And does that make it right for Alex to decide that's not an okay thing for her to do? No. But that's, you know, having a kid with someone I think is maybe it's it's a bigger thing than Tina's putting on. She's maybe a bit desperate right now, so he is trying to save her from herself. But obviously there are very selfish intentions behind his actions as well. And then after Brett and Michelle have their argument, Tina, Tina and Alex go outside. Not before Tina flicks, flips Alex off, which is pretty funny. But they're like, 
it's very clearly a situation where Brett and Michelle are kind of, there's a lot of tension, a lot of arguing. So Tina and Alex are like, we, we have to act like adults now. We, we really do like just have to kind of figure this out and be there for, for them. So I, I've always appreciated the fact that no matter what's going on in their friendship, like they will always put that aside to deal with Brett and Michelle's bullshit, so to speak. And I think this was an important moment, like especially coming so close after the argument for again, for them to be mature adults. I agree. And it's like, we need to have this conversation. Like it's been a long time coming where they need to just get everything out in the open and talk about it. But you're right. Like so much stuff has been going on. They've been able to just coexist and put things aside to help their friends. But now it's time for them to, to really talk about their own issues with each other. Speaking of issues that leads us into episode eight for the kids, which uh, so I watched the promo for this finale just to see how it was framed. They did frame this as the series finale. So this this show was canceled by the time the last episode aired, which is pretty rare now. Yeah, I I was reading because I wanted to see like I think it was the end of the episode five or the beginning of episode six. It was right after, you know, Mark Duplass walks in with uh, the girl. And I'm like, wait, did they didn't they? And that AV Club review starts with like that that it had been publicized that the show was canceled right when this episode comes out and he was like the or the the author I, I don't remember who the author is but they were lamenting like this show was so effing good and talking about how great this episode was and, and this that and the other so yeah either so i don't know when the notice was given if they were still shooting or whatever else but yeah like it was it was at least halfway through the season when the notice came out like it was being canceled yeah, it's just it's uh it's really sad that this show was canceled because I mean, I like the finale, but I really feel like we were we were set up for for a lot of things in the future and we can get into some speculation in a few minutes, but uh we start off with the Dune show. It is god awful. Tina and Michelle talk about just how awful it is. Tina even is like pieces out and is like, Michelle, you you have to tell Brett this. Uh, Alex also leaves to go. Alex has decided that going to a gynecologist with Tina is better than Michelle and Brett's discussion. What does that tell you, Kevin? Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> so Michelle and Brett have their very awkward discussion uh, just about how terrible the show is. And they're seemingly going to get into an argument. But then we find out that Sophie has had a fall. Uh, she is going to St. James, which wouldn't you know, Kevin, apparently is the only hospital that is in the city of Los Angeles because Tina and Alex are also there as well. Huh, what a coincidence. Uh, so Tina's with the gynecologist and uh, she gets the call. So she immediately just disregards this appointment with the gynecologist and is like, I'm the family member, like just goes into full like tiger mommy mode, which I which I really appreciated. Yeah, Tina, Tina being a really great aunt. Brett. I don't know if he's being a great father, but he is certainly being an intense father because he's just trying to drive there as quickly as possible. And look, I am a firm believer. If you are driving on the shoulder of the road, you're you're almost an inherently terrible person. But in this situation, I can definitely see where Brett is coming from. Yes, but I've also seen like in traffic, people go on the shoulder and like, boom, there's a cop right there. Like, no, sir. So to me, it was like, oh, a cop, like, I understand for the show, you need to have it where he crashes into the, the shoulder. But, like, a cop would have been on his ass right away in real life. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Uh, Sylvie coming out with the double casts was, <laughs> sci was all was the following things. It was kind of sad. It was hilarious because of both the double cast and the look on her face. And it was, like, 
cute at the same time? Like, would you yes. say that's accurate? I would say so. Uh, so pa- the pa- or Brett and Michelle talk to her on the phone. Sophie really doesn't say anything. Sophie really doesn't want to talk to her parents. And I don't know that like they don't make it clear. Is this build up from the entire season and the fact that things haven't been good with the two of them? Is it this incident specifically? But Sophie apparently only wants to turn or turn to Tina. Sophie whispers for Tina to put her down back at the house. Sophie even turns down ice cream. Kevin, when you were that young, would you have ever turned on ice cream? I don't know that I turn down ice cream now. <laughs> like if I offered you ice cream right now, you just you would eat it. Well, I'd say what kind? What are we doing? <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, I'd probably accept. Man, that's that's wild. Anyway, need it. What? So... Hey, were, you, were you telling me you turn down ice cream? <laughs> I would never turn down ice cream unless it was like unless it was like a coffee flavored ice cream. Which coffee flavored ice cream is bullshit. I'm sorry. No, it's delicious. That's. No, it's not. It's terrible. Coffee's bad, man. Coffee rocks. It's bad. Been drinking coffee this whole show. I hate coffee so much. I really do. Like, this is a, this is a shoot. Like, this is, I, I have never been a coffee person. It makes me a weirdo in every, every job I've ever had, but I don't care. Don't care. Anyway. Maybe um, maybe you'd be a lot less hostile about the school situation (laughs) if you had some coffee in you right now. I think I would actually be more hostile. Maybe, yeah. There's there's an argument to be made. Uh so I I don't even know how this is a school at this point. I really don't. Uh they decide that they're going to put on a performance. They're going to have the kids kind of help the adults uh, build and perform this show. And it's 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 very Duplassy. It's very Twee, yes. as we've been discussing. Like it's cute. I, it's it's good for a finale to kind of bring all of the characters together one more time to do this like as a united front. Like no arguing, no bullshit. Like everybody's together. I think they even get the kickball crew back into this thing to help, and their kids come along. Yeah, it's. I like the idea of it more than I like what it means, because again, I don't understand like what the purpose of this school is. And uh, there's, there's even a point when Anna talks about the, the French curriculum. And I, I, I want to tell you, Kevin, I was actually doing this, making the wanking motion. Like what does teaching kids that young French achieve? I don't know. I mean, I, I've always been a believer that if, if you have a good school, that means you have good teachers and, you have a good culture. Like that's what it comes down to. You can, you can make up all the bullshit curriculum you want. You can say, we're going to do this, this, and this, but if you don't have the culture and the teachers, then it it really doesn't matter. And again, the people who have to be, the people who have to do this are actually have to be involved in education and have classroom abilities. Like teachers need to be the ones that are doing this, which I wish they had just said Michelle was a teacher or like say she was a substitute or is still a substitute. Like if they had made her a teacher, which I think is something I think it would have helped the show significantly if they had said Michelle was a teacher. Yeah. Cause like ultimately it's like, okay, we're gonna, yes, we're going to have this like hands-on demonstration and get kids involved, which I think is a very good thing to have, have hands-on education, but to be like the kids had more fun with this and kind of, did they learn anything? And like, they, I don't know, like, would would that really be the thing that turns a parents like, well, the kids had more fun, so we're going to vote for her? It's, I don't know. Like, Well, Kevin, as it turns out, the yes. charter school was about the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Which, cool, I guess. Like, yeah, that makes for a, a fun, happy moment to end the show. But I'm like, is this really how schools get funded? Is this really what parents want out of 
out of a charter school and their kids. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Michelle wins, which is great because at least of the two grossly unqualified people to be doing this, at least the fun one won, I guess. <laughs> I I was just thinking about you this entire episode and wondering if you're just like, what it, what is even this school? That is a really good question, and I still can't tell you because there was no season three, so I yeah. really can't. I really can't tell you. Like, uh, look, our public school system is incredibly messed up, and there are some really good public schools out there, but the reality is, is that they're grossly underfunded, they're misfunded. There's all kinds of issues with the public school system, but I have never been a believer that charter schools, and quite frankly, even private schools, I just don't think that's the solution. I think. I think if we put in a rule where you have two options, you either send your kid to a public school or you homeschool them, I think that would be so much better because then people would have to invest in their public schools. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. And I understand, like, if you cannot send your kid to school for whatever reason, health, medical benefits or whatever, like, that's what homeschool is for. But that's you have to make that choice, either homeschool or public school. Those are your choices. End of story. Fair enough. <laughs> uh okay. yeah so, so so yeah uh maybe we can do we, we need to do an hr related tv series at some point so that <laughs> you can kind of rant about how bad hr is or good hr is yeah or just you know what is it what can it be yeah there's there's a lot there what what it, what it is what it is and what it is not i think would be a more interesting yeah. subject to tackle uh so yeah we get brett apologizing to michelle and wanting to come home and he says he'll try to work it out that kind of ends uh, their story for the season. So the thing that's weird to me is, so Brett and Michelle are home, yet it seems at the same time Alex and Tina are still in costume at the school, and I'm just not sure why that's happening. Like, why are Brett and Michelle not with Alex and Tina? Um, this is just a pretext because uh, they go to Bangtown, Kevin. They uh, they finally uh, they finally have uh, consensual sex, and uh, there it is notable that no condom is present. So clearly they're setting up that Alex was going to impregnate Tina with this, uh, with this event. So does that mean she was lying about her birth control then? I don't know, but I, I wouldn't say she's lying, but I just think it's very clear to me. Like the fact that they go out of their way to mention that he doesn't have a condom, like they're going to have unprotected sex and he was going to get her pregnant. Right. But it, she makes the point to what well, I forget his name already back in episode five. He's like, Oh, you're going to put on a condom, but I'm on the pill. Right, and but so sometimes like, the the pill is not one hundred percent effective. I know that, and I but I saw but that's so that, that to me almost takes sort of the steam out of the argument. He's like, yeah, but it's not a hundred percent, so that's why I'm wearing a condom back in episode five or whatever. I mean, Larry should have thought of Larry should have thought of that argument. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know it, but I so, think they I think they did not mention that because they were clearly I it's do you do you feel like they were setting up the fact that. Alex was going to get Tina pregnant because yes. it seems very clear to me. That's I, yes, I do. Or either he's going to get her pregnant or she doesn't get pregnant because she's on the pill. And then that leads to like her, you know, her, do her and Alex talk about being in a relationship and is this something they actually want to do. And then they, she goes off the pill and they try. And then the end of season three, is she gets pregnant. There's, there's things they could have done here. All of this to say is like, there is something to it. I'm going to bring clerks back into this. I remember watching the Clerks 2 documentary and they talk about the scene where Dante's talking to Randall about like, you know, what would you do? And Randall bursts out like I'd buy the video store and quick stop myself. And Kevin Smith talks about like, you know, having a conversation where like this is something Randall would have thought about. 
And I think there would have been. There's this hesitancy in this episode where Alex, where she asks Alex Avery and Conor, and she says no, and then she stops before getting into it. But I, to me, I'm like, I'm wondering if bringing it up in episode seven, if Tina would have given more thought to this about Alex. And when she said, are you, do you have a condom? Or, and he says no, that it would have been like, she's already thought about if she's going to do this or not. And there would have been a little less hesitancy to it. I could see that. I think that's fair. I yeah. mean, I think there's, again, we don't have a season three, so we this this is all speculation. But right. like very clearly, they were going to have Brett and Michelle kind of trying to patch things together. Maybe they were going to bring the therapist back. Maybe we would have actually seen some of their therapy sessions. Um, because, again, this just is basically completely abandoned, uh, which is which is kind of which kind of sucks because I would have loved to have had more insight. But. I just, I don't think they were ever going to have Brett and Michelle get divorced. I don't think that's no. what the show is. But back to Alex and Tina for a second. I will say, you know, Tina's having trouble getting out of her costume. If there's any way to get somebody out of a costume when you're having trouble doing it, it's it's having two horny people figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I think the desperation really just takes over at a certain point, right? Yeah. But I will say, I really like Brett's apology. I really like in saying he wants to come home and, and Michelle accepting him back. Because now they've both kind of fucked up. They're both in sort of this similar space. And they, but, and I think I can believe they earnestly want things to get better. And as, as much as it sucks that the show is canceled and I would have loved to have seen subsequent seasons, I am glad that it ends, like, it, it ends in a way where I can believe that things are going to work out for the better for both Brett, Michelle, and Alex and Tina. Yeah, I think this works as a series finale. I would not have been my preference as it, as a, as a series finale, but... Yeah, like I said, I think this makes me yearn for a season three, but I don't feel angry about it. I mean, if I felt it, I probably did feel angry at the time, but it's like, you know, I'm glad that we at least ended in a good place. Same. So I think it's one of those instances where we could both say, yes, this was canceled too soon, but I feel good about where it ended. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, It's it's not like a show like, uh, like Glow, which... I can't believe Kevin and I completely forgot to put Glow on our list, and we'll we'll get into that uh, shortly. But like Glow, very clearly ended on a cliffhanger, and the fact that we will never get a payoff to that a- angers me tremendously, even to this day. Yeah, um, yeah, and and hearing like Mark Maron talk about it a little bit on his podcast and stuff, it feels like they had ideas and just the uh, the pandemic and an ensemble show. It just wasn't. wasn't I mean, I think out. that's. I just I don't buy that argument at all. I just don't. I mean, the, I don't. I buy that there's a pandemic. I'm not one of those people, but I don't buy that they couldn't have made it work. I guess. I mean, it either even if, if they, they did a two hour movie or something like that, they could have found a way. I guess. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a wrestling show on Stars that started like a year ago. Yeah, it was. It's fucking awful. Um, I I watched the first 15 minutes of Heels and thought it was one of the worst things I'd ever seen. It's very bad. But I, but I can also understand just like Netflix being like, look, we have like 12 main people here. Could they pay it? Yes. Did they want to? No. Whereas with Stranger Things, it's like, yes, pay them and have the hour episodes be over an hour and a half. Sure. Well, I mean, how many people watch Stranger Things versus Glow? I mean, yes, but you, you can't just have big franchise things on your streaming service. You have to have you have to appeal to a wide variety of audiences in order to get subscribers. I, I think that's a that's a hard lesson they're going to learn. I mean, like the thing about a show like Togetherness, you're probably not going to get a lot of people who are like, I am going to get HBO Max because Togetherness is on this service. But Correct. if you have shows like Togetherness and you pair them with other two plus shows and you have other indie movies and documentaries, 
Like, it's like, okay, this is a service that I want because I know that, yes, there's going to be Lord of the Rings, or I'm sorry, Game of Thrones. There's going to be uh, your DC stuff, but there's also going to be this quality indie stuff. And I feel like a lot of streaming services are losing this idea. Yeah, you can't just have... You can't just have your lead singers all the time. You need the baseline. You need the drummers. You need all that stuff to because eventually you're gonna run out of Game of Thrones to watch. You're gonna run out of DC stuff to watch, and then you can just cancel the service. Unless you have all this other background stuff, you'd be like, oh, you know what? Maybe this is worth keeping to to watch these other things on here for sure. And like, I think it's a huge problem with Disney because unless Disney has a Marvel or Star Wars, like their service really doesn't matter. Like right. it matters because of the backlog of movies, but doesn't really matter in the contemporary well sense. it does matter if you have a kid well yeah i mean that's that's what i'm saying with like the movies and stuff like that backlog alone justifies the cost but in terms of like contemporary shows i just don't know other than marvel and star wars how many people are watching the second season of the mighty ducks reboot or um some of the well, other disney specific shows they have how many are watching or even know it exists yeah i mean that's the other thing that's the other and thing, but it does tell you that in streaming, it's like, all right, what's Disney do with Marvel or Star Wars? Amazon has Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones is, you know, whatever that show is called uh, now on HBO. And it's like, cool, we'll just do more, more things of stuff that worked or has been working. Great. It's a grim future. Well, the good news is, Kevin, is that we will not be focusing on any of that because moving forward, we will be continuing with Cancel Too Soon indefinitely we're not going to put an end date on it in 2023 we are just going to continue going there are so many shows that we can discuss including glow i know that kevin and i really want to discuss glow it's it's got three seasons but boy that show is absolutely canceled too soon so (laughs) yeah for sure so we're going to be discussing glow we're going to be discussing a number of other shows that are on the table still and yeah, that's that's gonna be the that's gonna be the plan moving forward. And I'm uh, I'm excited to continue with this project. On a side note, the fourth season of Barry likely to come out sometime in 2023. Apparently, going to be the last one. So that will be the the only interruption to our to our run of Cancel Too Soon will be our discussion of the fourth season of Barry, which again apparently will be the final one. And maybe we'll see if that show is canceled too soon or not. Yeah, uh, I I mean, I feel like that's a decision that Bill Hader made. I don't think that's an HBO decision. I, I, I definitely don't. Um, but it just in terms of story, maybe we watch her like, man, I wish there was more to this or, you know, whatever. But, I mean, spoilers I, if you haven't listened. But, you know, he gets arrested at the end of the last season. So I feel like I feel like the end game is in sight. That's, that's yeah, exactly. Like there's there seems to be a season worth of material now that Barry's been caught and how we how we patch things up with that and the other characters in the show. So, yeah, that is uh, that is pretty much it. We're not sure what we're going to be discussing in January as of this recording, uh, but we will let you know. Kevin, I plugged all of our podcasts. Anything else you want to say as we end 2022? A good year of podcasts, I think, for for us. We covered a lot of really good stuff where you said goodbye to, to Better Call Saul. You know, we're going to say goodbye to Barry. We covered a lot of really interesting shows with, with canceled due soon. So, and I'm excited for 2023 to watch more stuff, uh, revisit some old things. And I think there's going to be like the canceled due soon is going to continue, but I also think we're going to have like variations on the theme of, of being canceled too soon or, uh, that, that are going to be fun to explore. And, uh, maybe we need to revisit our clerks conversation as well. We could, we could do that. We'll see. You know, we can be we can be pretty fluid here. That's a, that's something nice that 
that you and I have uh, the ability to do with this with this monthly show. Uh, but never talk about wrestling unless it's glow, right? A hundred percent. And if we have, with which you say that. And if we had this uh, this alternate universe where it was uh, not canceled soon enough, then we would maybe talk about heels. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find me uh, doing Pantheon Plus with Brian. Uh, we will be moving forward. We just did a full month of Christmas-related material, so you can go back and listen to all of that as uh, Brian and I will be uh, kind of expanding our reach a little bit in 2023 and getting away from superhero stuff, and we'll be talking about some like underrated sequels and things of that nature, so make sure you stay tuned to Enter the Real World. For Kevin, my name is Jerome. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next year. It is very cute that Sophie broke both of her arms, but if Jerome or I broke both of our arms, just like Tina it would be a tragedy.